Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me for our sermon text this morning, Psalm 104, as we can as we continue our summer series in the Psalms. Psalm 104 can be found on page 603 and 604 in your pew Bible. I would also invite you to turn to page 5 in your bulletin, where you'll find an outline for our time together this morning. As you're turning, I want to give you an update on Lee Blumker and ask you to continue to pray for Lee if you've had someone in your family or someone that you uh, know, love, or care about dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, you know that there comes a point in which uh, the person that you knew and loved and cared for, they're not there anymore. And uh, sadly, that is the place where we are at with Lee. Uh, I'm not the only person who's gone to see her recently who has walked away uh, feeling like she didn't know I was there and there was nothing really, um, there's nothing of the person that we knew and loved that we got to interact with. And so I think uh, as as we pray, we simply want to pray uh, that the Lord would be gracious to Lee and be gracious to her family. Uh, I know we live in a culture that says death is the most horrible, terrible thing ever. Uh, But the Bible tells us that precious in the eyes of God are the death of his saints. And Miss Lee has given ample testimony uh, to her faith in the Lord Jesus. And so, uh, again, let us pray with that hope in mind. Psalm 104 beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, 
The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, now we pause for these few moments to give attention to your word. We pray that you would bless it. Father, we pray particularly this morning for Lee Blumker. We pray for her family. Lord, we ask that you would be gracious to them. Father, we know your goodness. We're going to see it this morning in this text. And Lord, we would very much uh, like to be able to see your goodness as it relates to Lee and her family. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But why? Why does the psalmist give us this command when there are indeed times and seasons and events in which we are tempted to think that God is not worthy of blessing. When our circumstances are, are such, or probably, rather there's something going on in the life of someone that we love, that has us questioning God, not blessing God. Last week, Les helpfully reminded us that although Psalm 103 was written by David, it's found a home among what scholars call the post-exilic psalms. In other words, these are the psalms used by the people of God as they were living in captivity, far away from Israel in either Assyria or Babylon. These are the songs and prayers of our Old Testament heroes, Daniel, Esther, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, even when your circumstances are not what you would wish them to be, and even when you're living a life in captivity, the psalmist tells us to bless the Lord. But again, why? Or we might wonder, 
How are we supposed to be able to bless the Lord when our circumstances urge us to question the Lord? Well, on page five in the bulletin, as we've said, there's an outline for our time together. You see there the big idea. Here's the big idea for this morning. We need to respond rightly to the Creator. We need to respond rightly to the Creator. Three points we want to make this morning. The first one is this. Let's see the top and the tail. Let's see the top and the tail. The psalmist brackets this psalm with a command. And it is a command. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He begins verse 1 with that command. And then he ends the psalm in the same way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And this inclusio, or this top and tail, frames the rest of the psalm. And so we know that whatever is going to come between these two commands is the explanation. The psalmist is going to explain to us why it is that God is worthy of blessing. Why it is that even when our circumstances are not what we would like them to be, God is nonetheless to be blessed. Now, we need to stop here for just a moment. Let's just hit pause and recognize that there's a difference between saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and crying out for the Lord to bless us. We're very good at the latter. We're not so good at the former. We all know what it means when our circumstances are overwhelming or when things are going on in the lives of people that we love and care about. We know what it's like to cry out to the Lord on their behalf, to ask God to bless them in particular ways. And to be clear, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible tells us that God gives good gifts to his children. In fact, Jesus reminds us if we who are sinful know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more than our Heavenly Father? But let's understand that God's blessings usually are focused upon our circumstances, and the psalmist is reminding us here that the blessing of God means that we are ascribing blessing and praise and honor to one who transcends our circumstances. Friends, your circumstances will change. My circumstances will change. God never changes. And the truth of Psalm 104, as we're given the reason why we are to bless the Lord, that has been true from the beginning of time, and it will be true through time immemorial. My circumstances change. Your circumstances change. God does not change. And so the psalmist calls on us to bless him. But again, why? Why are we to bless the Lord when things are going on in our lives that would cause us not to bless him, but to question him? Some days even to wrestle with the desire to curse God. Why is it then that we are to bless him? Well, the psalmist in verses 2 to 32 
is following a pattern. He's, as one writer said, he's actually riffing on another portion of Scripture. The writer of this psalm is using Genesis 1 and the days of creation as a guide in telling us why it is that God is to be blessed. Why is God worthy of blessing? Because God's the creator. He made everything. And not only did he make it, but he also sustains it. God didn't just get it started and step back and say, hey, fend for yourself. Or God is not up in heaven somewhere micromanaging things because it all started as an accident. No, the psalmist is here telling us a story of a God who is both intentional in creating everything, but also in sustaining everything that he created. God is both creator and sustainer. So in Genesis 1, verses 3 to 5, we're told that there was light. It's day one of creation. And in verse 2a of Psalm 104, we're told exactly the same thing, that God covers himself with light as with a garment stretching out the heavens like a tent. Day two in Genesis chapter one, verses six to eight, we're told that there's a firmament that divides the waters. That again is what the psalmist is going to tell us in verse two through verse four of this psalm. In day three in Genesis chapter one, verses nine to ten, we're told that the land and the water are made distinct. And in verses 5 to 13 in this psalm, we're told exactly the same thing. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains at your rebuke. They fled at the sound of your thunder. They took to flight. Here we see that God has created these things and he continues to sustain them. The land and the water are distinct. Day three in Genesis chapter one, verses 11 to 13, we're told about vegetation and trees. And the psalmist tells us of the same thing in verses 14 to 18. Day four in Genesis chapter one, verses 14 to 19, we're told that the luminaries or the heavenly bodies serve as timekeepers. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, it's day one. And in verses 19 to 23, the psalmist says exactly the same thing. Day five in Genesis chapter one, verses 20 to 23, we're told that God creates creatures that will fill both the sea and the sky. And in verses 25 and 26, the psalmist says again the same thing. And day six, we're told about the created animals and finally man and the way that God provides food for all of those creatures, verses 27 to 30. Now, the psalmist is reminding us that God didn't just create everything, but he also maintains it. God didn't just stand up in heaven and say, okay, here it is, let me get it going. Now fend for yourself. But rather, the psalmist paints for us a picture that tells us that God gives his creation stability and generosity, protection and provision. 
And he does so because his might is measureless. There's no one like him. There's no one who could do the things that God does. There's no one with the power to create and to sustain. The really sad thing that happens in our world all the time is there are folks who look at the beauty and the wonder and the order and the intricacy of the created world. And as Paul tells us, they don't see in that the truth of the creator, but rather they worship the creation. Or they deny that there was any sort of divine influence, divine hand in the creation of what we see before us. They can't see the truth. As Paul says, that creation is very plainly and clearly telling them. And so please know, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to think about something, and this is going to sound harsh. I don't mean it to be, but I'm trying to communicate what the Bible says is actually true. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then you're robbing God of what is rightly his when you worship something other than him as creator. When you look at the created order and you worship the creature or you worship creation or you worship Mother Earth or you worship the cosmos, you are robbing God of what is his. It's not an accident. He made it. And we're not just hoping that somebody doesn't hit the wrong button, or we're not just hoping that we wise up and stop using internal combustion engines so the earth doesn't kill us all. No, there is uh, all that is, is both been created and it's also sustained by God. And when you worship anything other than God as absolute, as creator, as sustainer, then you're robbing him of what is rightly his. Well, thirdly, then, we need to respond rightly, or in other words, so what? The psalmist has given us this wonderful riff, as it were, on all that God has done in creation. And in fact, he goes even a step further. He's, he's telling us not just that God created all of these things, but he's telling us in this very beautiful poetic language how it is that God maintains all that he has created. How he sustains the world that he spoke into being. Now we need to understand this morning that there are very serious consequences as we think about the question, how did here get here? How you answer that question isn't just about how you think everything started, but how you answer that question is going to have very serious consequences for how you live your life. After all, if you honestly think that everything got here merely by accident over millions and billions of years, then here's the question you have to answer. Why in the world would you think that anything in this life has any transcendent meaning? 
It's an accident. How could there be meaning in an accident? It's a cosmic oops. There were a group of philosophers who understood that. Uh, they're called the existentialists. They would say, well, we exist. We don't know why, <laughs> but we're here. They tried to find meaning in it. We're like, yeah, we're not sure that there is any meaning. Well, the psalmist wants us to understand that there are implications. We do need to respond rightly. There are consequences to believing and to knowing that God indeed not only created, but also sustains the world that he made. So how are we to respond rightly? Well, the psalmist tells us, first of all, that we are to sing. Look at verse 33. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Why? Because that being is a gift from Him. If you're still drawing a breath, it's a gift from God. If you have food to eat, it's a gift from God. The fact that cows eat grass and make steak it's a gift from God. The fact that pigs eat whatever it is they want to eat and make bacon, it's a gift from God. And so we sing praise to the Lord as long as we live. We sing praise to our God while we have being. Why? Because He's the one who gave you your being. He's the one who gave you breath. He's the one not only who gave you life, but maintains and guards and protects the life that you have. And so we sing, not the blues, but we sing praise to our God as long as we live. Now, note here, the psalmist has gone on to tell us how wonderful creation is. He's told us all that God is doing in creation but he keeps a very clean distinction between creation and creator. He doesn't say, I will sing to Mother Earth as long as I live. And I will sing praise to the cosmos while I have my being. No, there's a very clear distinction between creator and created thing. The psalmist has that very clear as Psalm 104 is written. Secondly, we are to meditate. Excuse me, we are to meditate and rejoice. Verse 34. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Now, meditation means that we stop and we mull something over in our mind. And we do it for longer than the minute and 18 seconds that now constitutes our attention span as Americans, thanks to the wonderful thing we carry around in our pocket all the time. Meditation means that we stop and we ponder and we consider and we roll it around in our minds. What does it mean exactly when the Bible says that God gave wine to gladden the heart of man? and oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. What is it talking about? 
do we understand that all of those things are God's good gifts? That he uses them to speak of his love and his care and his concern for that which he has created. See, the glories of creation reveal the glory of the creator. And the more we ponder that, the more we are able to do what the psalmist commands us to do at both the beginning and the end. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Thirdly, though, the third way in which we're to respond is we need to understand that that response, that singing and that rejoicing, that praise is to be given exclusively to Yahweh. It is a really interesting ending, isn't it? It's one of those, one of these things is not like the other. We get to verse 35 and we're talking about how we're rejoicing in the Lord. And suddenly in verse 35, we read this, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. It's like, wow, dude, wait a minute. Like I was singing Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. And all of a sudden you throw in, let the bodies hit the floor. Like I can't go from I can't go from John Denver to five finger death punch. I just I, I can't I can't do it. Why why is this why is this happening? Well, I love the way that one uh, one commentator put it. He said, and and I quote uh, Derek Kidner, the late Derek Kidner says, "Creation is not merely a choir loft; it is also a battlefield." Creation is not merely a choir loft. It is also a battlefield. As long as evil exists, the petition of verse 31 is not finally realized. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Can the Lord rejoice in the evildoer? No. Can the Lord rejoice in the wicked? No, he can't. And so as long as this evil exists, the petition that the psalmist prays in verse 31 cannot be realized, cannot be fully realized. So uh, what does that mean? What does it mean to say, uh, may the sinners be consumed from the earth, may the wicked be no more? Well, there's only two ways that sinners will be consumed from the earth. One, that they repent and receive God's righteousness. They go from being sinners to being something entirely different. And as we read this morning in our catechism questions, we have this corrupt human nature. We are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil. So one way to get rid of sinners then, one way to remove sinners, is that sinners repent and receive God's righteousness, and they go from being sinners to those who are righteous. The second way is that they are judged by a holy God and then removed from creation forever. This is a psalm that points us to the gospel. This is a psalm that points us to what God is doing, 
has done and will do through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that shouldn't surprise us. After all, this is a creation psalm. And we know in, in Genesis chapter 1 that God the Father and God the Spirit are their creation. And then in John chapter 1, we learn that the Lord Jesus Christ was actually the divine word that God spoke as all things were being created. All things were made through him, and apart from him, nothing has been made that was made. So at the table, we're reminded of both of these ways of removing sinners. We're reminded that it's only through the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that those who are guilty can be declared not guilty. That we who are unrighteous can be made righteous. But we're also reminded, as the Apostle Paul tells us, that we're to do these things until Christ returns. And when he returns, he's coming in power and in glory and in judgment. So it's not until Jesus returns the second time that we are judged, that the wicked are judged by a holy God and removed from creation forever. And so not only does this psalm tell us of the gospel and point us to the gospel, but the table declares for us the gospel this morning. It's only through the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are made right with God. And when Christ comes again, those who are sinners will be consumed from the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for uh, this psalm. Thank you for the skill of the psalmist. Uh, Lord, we know this is inspired by your spirit. It bears testimony to the triune God who's the creator of all things. And Lord, it is a shockingly fantastic poem. Lord, may we meditate on it. And Father, may we think rightly about you. May May in our meditation, may that meditation drive us and lead us to blessing you, O oh my soul. For we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.